What? Welcome to Barbell Nerds Podcast. We are we have uh, reached episode twenty, I think, or maybe maybe this is twenty one. Twenty one. Twenty one. But we got Darian, we got Darian Pika um, on this episode. She is a strength and conditioning coach at USC out in California on the West Coast. Um, so thanks for being with us today, Darian. And why don't you just give us a little intro? a um, little background on you and your career and kind of whatever you feel like is relevant to you and where you're at right now. Yeah. Well, thank you both of you for having me. And I love being on podcasts and just sharing kind of my vision and, and obviously my journey and path. Um, but yep, my USC right now, I've been here for about three years. Um, I'm Southern California, born and raised, never left, went to college at Loyola Marymount, which is also in LA. Um, just like a lot of strength coaches. I was an athlete all my life. I played multiple sports, really good runner, ended up going to play soccer in college and kind of wasn't recruited heavily. Um, but I know I was like division one. I was never top division one. I, I USC said no to me already. So I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not Pac-12. But um, I went to LMU, I was a walk-on, and kind of lowest of the totem pole, and fell in love with strength conditioning, fell in love with the weight room, got bigger, faster, stronger, and all of a sudden found myself playing my freshman year, getting money my freshman year, and then kind of Cinderella story by my senior year, I was full ride captain. Um, and I attributed a lot to my strength coach, like I had a great relationship with him, you know, they, my team kind of were like, oh, you're the freak in the weight room, and at the time, like as a female, I was like, I don't want to be called a freak, but I love the weight room. So I'm just going to lift heavy because that's what I enjoy doing. Um, and I, I saw what it did for me and I was like, you know what? I want to do that same for others. You know, I was like, this is a great profession. I get to help people, um, and have success in the college sector. So I went on to, after my soccer career ended, I did an internship at Loyola Marymount and saw that I really loved it. And then I went ahead and did an internship at USC. And honestly, like, I'm so glad I did it, but it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had. You know, I had a great mentor. His name's Chris Chase. He's with Grizzlies now. I, he really led me down the correct path, but it was just awful hours. It was so hard on my mind and body. Um, but I, I stuck with it. So obviously I did a good job. Uh, but I went into the private sector after that. I went to work at, or internship at Velocity. I worked with the Interval Combine. And I was like, oh, I like the private sector. But then I got my master's, um, great experience at Cal State Fullerton, getting my master's. And right when I got my master's in 2017, uh, USC called up, oh, we have a position open. Are you interested? So I was like, ah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want to go back to college. Um, but I ended up interviewing and getting the opportunity, and I decided to take it. Now, my first few years in college, I was like, college is great. I love it. I love teams. Um, I get summer. Summer's pretty awesome. But lately, now I'm just like, I don't know if I'm going to stay in college. You know, it's just, I'm glad I had that experience in the private sector. Um, and I'm glad I have this experience in the college sector. I don't know if I see myself staying in the college sector just because dealing with sport coaches just is, is crazy. Um, it's really turning me off from this, from this environment. Uh, but I love my athletes. I love my teams. And, you know, I'm, I'm still enjoying it, but it's kind of rough right now. Gotta be honest, you know, so that's, my that's, uh, that's kind of a lot of what I tended to deal with, uh, at North Dakota. 
but uh, on a little bit colder of a scale, I'm sure, than Southern mm -hmm. California. Um, but no, I've made that transition out of out of college into the private sector right now. And as I will say, the worst part of it is you do miss your athletes yeah. so much, so much so. But they're amazing friends now. A couple of them actually were at my wedding, um, which is very, very, which was an honor just to have them there. So I guess all in all, my, my question would be like, how did that time in that private sector prepare you for the college? And how do you think that college could prepare you for what you might do at, at the private sector? Like what are the pros and cons, I guess, and some things that you've learned of both? Yeah, I would say by the end of my private sector career, I became the director for, for a few months before I went to USC. And that really prepared me on a communication standpoint of like, how do you talk to parents? How do you talk to your higher ups? Um, and the thing that I did not like about the private sector was this sales job, right? You got to kind of like sell your program. I need, I need the money. I need you to come and stay. So that kind of improved my communication skills. Um, but I did not like doing that. So that's why I was like, okay, like in college now I, I improved my communication skills. I want to say I'm the, still the best. We can always have improvement there. Um, but that helped me to, in order to still talk to my athletes, but then sport coaches, you know, talk, talking to them. And like, just like I'm trying to sell my program to in the private sector to the athletes and the parents, I'm trying to sell my program to the sport coach. Right. So it's kind of like the same deal. Um, I think there's a little bit more buying in the private sector because they're actually like paying for it. Or it's like in the college sector, they're just like, no, oh, this is free service. We, we have to be here at 6 a.m. for my swimmers. Like we have to be here. Like, no, like this is actually pretty cool when you get out that you get this service, you know? And it's funny when my, my athletes graduate, they're like, oh, can you send me programs? I'm like, no, that's not how it works now. <laughs> you know, that's, this stuff isn't free, like, you know? And they're like, oh, what? <laughs> like, you should have taken more advantage of that, of learning from me, um, which I was, what I was trying to do, is trying to teach you things that you need to help in. Um, but now that I've, I've gained more patience in the college sector, working with sport coaches, um, and kind of more of a give and take, I've learned how to just like, okay, like, you know, one thing that you hear in the college sector all the time is the sport coach would be like, no, it's my team. You know, I'm like, oh, well, this will work better. I don't care. It's my team. You know? So I'm like, okay. Yeah, I get it. I'm the sports staff. But then in the private sector, you get better of, you know, obviously my communication has gotten better from dealing with sport coaches. Um, so now when I transition back, you know, I feel like I'll have a better communication set of talking to parents. Um, but then again, have more control over my program. So I think communication is overall improved. It's just different areas. Uh, but I think it, whether you're in any situation, right? Communication is key. And I think I've improved in that from dealing with different um, people in different situations. So, yeah. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, cause you mentioned it uh, one time I heard you say that you, you work with swimmers um, and you really hammer like the vertical pulling with the swimmers. Um, so I work with volleyball players and so I looked at some research and saw that there is an association between um, shoulder extension strength and um, hitting velocity for the, like the middle hitters, outside hitters and all that. Um, so I was just curious, did you go into the research a little bit to decide that you want some 
um, shoulder extension strength. Is that the same thought process maybe with the swimmers? With they got, I mean, I'm not a swimmers co swimmers coach, so I guess I don't know the strokes very well. But I would assume that there's some sort of association with like upper body pulling strength and that shoulder being strong in the stroke. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and that and that's what the research showed me. But it's also what the sport coaches told me. They're like, this is what we really need. And also, I went in the pool and I learned the strokes. Like, I don't like swimming. My swimmers know that. Like, I'm not going to be one to jump in the pool. I just, I just don't. I'm a runner, you know? Um, but I got in there. I learned the strokes. I learned what it feel like. And I was like, yeah, this, this makes sense. And the sport coaches, um, the couple that I reached out to, of course, using other strength coaches that work with swimmers, what they found was important. And they all say vertical pooling. So and getting strong at the end range of motion, because all about swimming is like keeping as much water as you can in. Um, into that stroke. So having that end range of strength is, is really valuable. And research showed that also, you know, it's very, very common that swimmers are good at pull-ups. There's gotta be a reason, you know? Yeah. So how do you, how do you program all the vertical pulling with them without like having them get bored and just uh, make, making it such a monotonous process for them? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I, then again, I'm, <laughs> So you, of course you want them to enjoy their time in the weight room, right? But then again, like, hey, we're trying to get better. If this, if we're going to work on pull-ups five times a week, you know, we obviously don't do that. I don't care if you get bored. This is what's going to happen. But then again, I, I throw around, I'm a big tempo person, um, working the isometrics. We started off with isometrics because after COVID, everybody's like, after a long break, work with isometrics first, you know, before you do the eccentrics, because we don't create too much muscle damage. Um, so isometric, eccentrics, but then I do a lot of weighted. I do a lot of partner resisted, which we can't do right now in COVID mm -hmm. times. And that really makes them have fun with the movement because you get to do it with somebody. Um, and you I get like to chat with each other. Yeah, so they yeah, just- I like it. that too. Um, I oh do half holds as well. So holding the half position. And I, I make them do like three fours, one half. Like just, I just mix, mix it up, you know, getting stronger at different ranges of motions. But that's how I kind of keep it more exciting is that yeah. you know, we're not just going to do strict pull-ups all the time. Um, we're going to do band-resisted, partner-resisted. Uh, we're going to do pull-up holds for time for competition. So, yes, it's very boring. Um, I do band pull-downs too just to get the more volume of, of the vertical pull. Uh, but I'm still a big horizontal puller as well. You know, I think a pool is a pool. So whether you do it vertically, horizontally, you can mix them up. Um, and I, I love horizontal pools. I love the rows. And, you know, everybody says like a two to one ratio. I even go a three to one ratio. Um, so, and that, I think, I think that's how I make it exciting. I, I, I mean, I have never asked them if they think this is an yeah. exciting. Maybe that's a new question. Like, oh, are you guys sick of pull-ups? <laughs> maybe, maybe not, you know? So we'll see. Mm -hmm. Have you seen, because I know, because I used to work with swimmers when I was at Loyola in Maryland. Um, how could, and they did not do any dry land training. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you do, but I've watched swimmers run before. It's not a pretty sight. Um, do you do any sort of dry land training with your swimmers? And does your coach support it? Because mine, uh, when I said, hey, we're going to do some sled pushes one Friday morning, he's like, no, nah, let's not do that. Um, yeah. And then, like, I guess, how has that impacted their conditioning and training? Yes, great question. And this is, 
This is sensitive. This is a sensitive one because it depends on what your what sport coach you have. You know, for swimming, everybody they love their dry land. Um, don't know what it is about it. They love just like their circuits, uh, mess of ball throws, and just like core on core. And and I did my thesis on core in grad school, so I'm very particular and picky about my core. But they will just do it just to like, yeah, more core is better. It's like no, it's not. Like this is very awful form. Oh, but okay. So I started off working with swim and, and they did the dry land, you know, they're like, no, we, we control it. And I was like, okay, can I see what you're doing? No. Okay. Like, <laughs> so that's what was the first coach. And then I started, he started to see what I did in the weight room and he's like, okay, like we're not going to do dry land anymore. You get them for four times a week in the weight room. I'm like, great. So they're just swimming, no dry land. And then they're, and they're with me getting stronger because that's what we need to do. You said you want a strong athlete. Give me the time to get them strong. New coaching staff comes in. All right. I want to get them strong, but I'm giving you two days of strength training and I want one day of circuit. On top of that, we're going to do dry land training. Okay. What are you doing for dry land training? Why do you need to, why do you need to see? All right. Like, okay. So work with me here. Um, so, and now they're doing spin classes right after weights <laughs> I'm just so the, so instead of in the pool they're no spin classes so I'm like okay you want me to get them strong but yet you're doing two times a dry two times a week of dry land spin class and you're swimming twice like twice a day and I only get two days of strength so I'm just like you you cannot win with some of these swim coaches you like you just can't like as I'm experiencing like this is my second go around and I'm just like just tell me what you want. Like what, like I'm, I'm a service, like what service do you want? And you can't blame me if they don't get strong, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it comes down to the, that old adage, like more is not better. Better is better. Um, and they really like their more like swim coaches and volume just go hand in hand together. So, yeah. And I got, I got, <laughs> I said like, Oh, like, cause they, they're swimming laps, right? They're swimming laps in practice. I'm like, okay, like this is more aerobic training. And they're like, no, we're an anaerobic sport. Well, do you know what anaerobic means? <laughs> like, I was like, and I just like, and that was their Zoom meeting. I had to just turn off the Zoom. And I'm just like, like, that's just, I, I had a good analogy. I, I think I had a good analogy for this. So you go into the restaurant, right? You're like, I want a steak. I want medium rare. Like, I don't care how you get it there, but this is, this is what I want. But now in our service, we get, okay, I want a strong athlete, but I still want a fit athlete and I'm going to get them. I'm going to do this, 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 with this with them. I want you to do this, this, this with them. So I get, I get no process in the making. They're like, yeah. this is what I want. And if I say, Hey, like maybe that's not probably the best. Like I'm the professional, right? I'm the chef. They're like, no, it's my team. It's my state. Ah, well, why don't you trust the professional? And so this is kind of like what's going on in my career right now. That's just making me very like, what's the point of what's the point of being in college then? Like, and some people are like, okay, I got to communicate better with him. Like I'm, I'm working on that, you know, like, okay, like give and take. Yes. is your team, but this is what you're telling me you want to do. You want to get them stronger. Well, yeah, no, I have the tools to do that. Uh, so yeah, dryland training and swimmers, you know, I, I looked, I literally looked up today at practice and they're, they're doing their spin class and they're just <laughs> doing flutter kicks for two minutes straight just do sloppy flutter kicks and leg lowers. And I'm just like, Oh my God, like there's just no winning. I don't know what to do. You know, for, 
bring the spin bikes to the pool, do like two minutes max effort on the bike, jump in the pool, down and back, back on the bike, see how, see how that goes. They want it. One, one guy asked me first, like, oh, I want a kettlebell underwater circuit. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, you want kettlebell swings underwater? Okay, let's, let's do that. Just, t- just tell them to put a weight vest on. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, man. So that's the experience with dry line training. <laughs> so what was your, what was your thesis about? It was about core, but what specifically was it about and what, like, what did you find with it? Yeah. So I did, um, I was really in animal flow at the time. So I studied uh, surface electromyography, so muscle activation of four muscles of the core and the back kind of area. And I studied the bear hold, um, the bear crawl limb lift. So a static motion, a stationary movement, and then a traveling. So I was like really looking at like modes of, of training. We do, we do isometrics, we do static, and then we do traveling um, exercises. So I was like, what, what activates it more? And I don't think I found the, something like too astonishing. Like the more you move, the more you get activated, the more unstable you make an exercise, the more activation you're going to get, you know? So that's what I found. <laughs> and like at the time I was like, ah, oh, that's not that cool. But you know, it's, it served a purpose. I think with, mm-hmm. with core exercise that, you know, as we know better, and that was like about six years ago. So as we know better now, like, you know, the more, the more unstable you make a movement, yes, you're going to have better activation. Um, so yeah, that, that was basically what it was about. It's actually, so I, I'm not, I, I've seen a lot of the animal flow stuff. I actually had a coworker that did it before quarantine. Um, but I started doing a lot of that, uh, the bear crawls, the bear holds and everything with a client of mine that actually suffered a stroke recently. And coordination is increasing crazily off the charts. So I'm a big proponent in any uh, uh, sort of crawling uh, manner, lateral, uh, even like circular, rotational, anything like that. I've done it with athletes before, so I can't endorse that stuff enough. Yeah, especially for kids too. It's a great motor development tool, you know, like just contralateral movement. How do you, how how can you move and how can you, and like with any any sports or not any sports, but like a lot of sports, right? We keep a stable core, but we move our limbs. And that's what really core exercise should be about. You know, I always say, this is kind of what my thesis was, um so i had on my chair on my committee i had lee brown who's once in charge of nsca so big time guy and he basically like as i was doing my thesis he was just like this is stupid what's the point of doing a bear crawl like i was like yeah you're right like the best core exercise you can do is lifting heavy weights the second best is you can do heavy uh uh carrying heavy things so i'm like yeah i get that but my rebuttal was like, you can't shoot a cannon off a canoe, right? We need to build a better, better boat. So we need a, we get a lot of athletes coming in, no matter where you're at, no matter what, what clientele, like you're going to get wet noodles, right? They're going to just go all over the place. They have no stability. They have no control. So can we teach that control while moving your limbs? I think that's what the benefit is of these like lower level core exercises. It's really just like a motor development um, of things, of properties that you need of keeping that neutral spine buzzword a lot. A lot of people use that buzzword, but also um, core stability, another buzzword. But you, you do need that in order to be successful in the weight room. So I, it's a teaching tool and I throw them into my warmups because it's just kind of like a habituation, like getting priming that movement pattern for what you're about to experience. Do you, do you have a progression with that as well? Because like, like we, we all know that 
even though a lot of kids come to college and they're really good at their sport, their training age is so low. Like half of them, I'm sure with swimmers, I work with tennis players, you work with tennis players, half of them have zero uh, training experience at all. So do you have a progression of development for kids that come in? Yeah. Don't forget, Uh, you have a basketball team that's minus two. Yeah, that's true as well. (laughs) Yeah, I think, and and just like with any movement, we we go static. For for me, I go static to dynamic, right? The more you move, the more complicated the the exercise is going to be. So uh, I want to move. If I teach, I first educate. That's the first thing we got to do. We got to teach them what a neutral spine is. Like we need to teach them what dissociation means. So I always tell them, put your hands on your hips create, it's like a bucket, right? You can twist it forward, anterior pelvic tilt, you can twist it backwards, posterior pelvic tilt, you can find the middle. What does that look like for you? And then I'm like, okay, they're still not, they're not grasping it. They don't know what a posterior pelvic tilt is. Okay, dead bug. You know, that's the easiest thing, low back flat. But I don't want to keep them there because sports aren't played on your back, no matter what athlete you are, unless you're a wrestler. Okay, sports aren't played on your back. So I want to get them out of that as as fast as possible. Um, but then I start with the bear crawl hold, you know, static. What is it like pushing the ground away with the upper body? How can you keep your hips lifted off the ground and um, going against the gravity? And then I do the stationary. So, so what my thesis did show was there was a progression from the hold to the stationary to the, the traveling. So if there's a progression in muscle activation, then, then we should start lower activation and go up. Um, so... I don't like to do holds, uh, like, like just a plank, like lo- people love, especially swimmers, right? Just hold a plank, you know, but that's, that's not what we want to do. We want to move our, move our limbs. So, um, I, I do focus more I, from the hold to the stationary and limb lift and to the traveling, just like shoulder taps. I think shoulder taps are really easy to get anti-extension and anti-rotation. You get kind of two in one there. Um, and I throw those into my warm-up all the time. But we want to get – if we have the space, we want to get traveling as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Sean, you got anything? Uh, I like it. I, I've done a lot of that stuff uh, as well. And the whole anti, anti-rotation um, – and I, I've paired a lot of my anti-rotation just with my rotation work. Okay, freeze. Mm-hmm. Now let's drive a med ball into the wall and see how we can decelerate the ball off the wall on a bounce. Yes. Uh, valuable, valuable stuff just from like a, like, I, I guess it's a course stiffening movement because if you can drive it, if you drive the ball into the wall and then catch it on the rebound without a whole lot of exterior like repercussion, mm-hmm. that's going to be a lot of absorption force that you can take on. And the more that we can absorb the force, the, hot, the better we can sprint. And now we're getting out of swimming and diving. Uh, but more I, yeah, I love talking about change direction way more than swimming diving but <laughs> I, that's and that's just like the thing like we work on the brakes before the uh, acceleration you know we have, need to have strong brakes before we learn how to really uh, hit the gas pedal um, so I'm, especially with tennis just like the movement if we want to move efficiently well we've got to be able to absorb force quickly and transfer it and then re like you know hit the gas pedal again so yeah brakes brakes is good just like like and this, this goes the same too, like for swimmers, like off the wall, you know, it's, it's kind of like if you would take them out of the water and put them upright vertically, that's basically a depth drop, a depth jump, you know? Mm-hmm. So first I teach them, Hey, can we land? Can we absorb force? And now can we reproduce force? Um, and I know some people who test that for swimmers make that actual test. Like how much can they, you know, 
less time spent on the ground and, and jump as high as they can. Uh, and I think that's something that as a swim strength coach, I didn't look at until recently that I'm like, yeah, off the wall. Like I'm like, okay, triple extension off the wall. We do want to be powerful, but they're coming in really fast and they're flip turning out of it. That's basically a depth jump. Um, so that's really, I, we start right away with learning how to absorb force and then get straight to the depth jump and, and making that as quick as possible. And same with the divers, you know, divers need to be able to reproduce force pretty quickly and stay stiff, you know, stiff through the body. Are you timing uh, your swimmers like wall connection or I have to push off the wall? Are you timing how long that takes them? And then the follow-up from that would be, are you then looking at ground contact time in a depth jump and seeing if the numbers kind of match up? I have not timed them off the wall. That would be definitely something that I would talk to the sport coach about. Um, and even if there's a way like during the competition, cause I, I see the time, the times works in that um, circumstance. So I can, mm -hmm. I can see how long it takes them on the wall uh, and obviously diminish that time I've done with the divers, the four jump on the jump mat, mm -hmm. but there's just, they're just so with the swimmers, like I've tried it too. They're just too uncoordinated. So yeah. I think, I think their ability to do that on land kind of diminishes the, the purpose of the test. Um, and that's why I've done the depth jump instead. Um, but I, I started with the four jump and I, but I have not compared that time to the time off the wall. Uh, that's definitely something that I would look more into. And, and I'm, I'm someone like, and I talked to my sports science sports science coordinator at USC like I don't want to just collect data to collect data you know and I want too much data that's like okay what am I really going to do this like what is this really going to mean if I test that and then compare it to that time like you know so um I like to be careful with what I'm collecting and make sure it makes sense you know right now I'm just trying to get them strong you know they spent five months eight months out of the gym uh so we're really just focused on strength um, and vertical pulling and the lower body strength, but I don't, I don't one rep maximum. I don't even three rep maximum right now. It's too soon. I just got them back like a month and a half ago. Uh, so we're just jump testing. We don't, we don't have force plates either. So can't, can't do that. Uh, all I got is a jump mat. And so we're just going to test counter movement, non counter movement, um, hands on the hips or using their arms to just see their, see their, um, properties of being an athlete kind of elastic or contractile athlete sometimes I've, def I've definitely been in the spot where uh i started i wanted to collect data and i collect uh, like way too much and then it's overwhelming and now i'm like i it's not actionable data anymore because it's just too much shit and then i have nothing to do with it um but so so you don't do any one rep max testing or three rep max testing is there a I reason behind that Oh, you do three. three. Yeah, yeah. I will do three. I will do, a, I won't call it a test. I won't be like, all right, we're through at maxing. You know, I will give them uh, four, like maybe like, I don't know how, I, how I've done in the past. I've just given them a few sets, maybe like a two, a one, and then an open set, you know, an open set, how much you can get for weight for either two or three, you know? So I don't like the pressure of, of like, this is a test. I like open sets of like, all right, you're feeling pretty good. Like put on some weight. Let me see what you got. Can you get three with this weight? Um, try to, 
I like doing the three RM, but if I get a two, that's fine too. We can always calculate that. I like that. I like the tech go to tactical breakdown type of stuff with uh, those three RM maxes just because I don't know. I think the one RM max is slightly overrated at times. It's cool. Don't get me wrong. Like the meathead inside of me loves it. Uh, but how is that actionable for the athlete to go off of? Because no squat rack in the pool that I know of. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and you can fail, you know, they can get hurt and then that's on mm -hmm. you. Obviously. Cause I know when I'm, I'm and with athletes too, like we're competitive, right? We want to get better. And I see my teammate next to me doing five pounds more. Well, I'm going to go for it. And if I fail, like, and I don't know how to fail, like I'm, I'm going to get hurt. And then that's, that's on you. So that's why I don't like doing one rep maxes. Um, and that's why I don't do like testing. Like this is testing day, you know, vertical jump. Like I throw them into um, the training session for the day. I just throw it into it. It's never feel like, okay, testing. We're all watching, you know, like, no, like let's, let's ease into it. Like I'm going to do, I do a lot of contrast training. So I'm like, okay, you're going to squat and then you're going to come over to this mat and you're going to jump. Now, obviously that does, you know, manipulate the numbers a little bit, but as long as I always do it that way, I always do a squat to a jump, then it's just reproducible, you know? It's yeah. Really cool to see. Oh, go ahead. Well, my no, bad. go ahead. Sean. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to, it's really cool to see. I, and the competitive nature does come out within athletes specifically that love the weight room too. So it's really cool to see those relationships build off of just going back and forth and like you're doing five i'll do five more i got you yeah. like th those relationships in the weight room you see those athletes like I, I i've had the privilege of working with a couple athletes that have been strangers in the weight room and then best friends and now roommates their senior year and it's really cool to see like yeah if we didn't push each other in the weight room it, it wouldn't have happened um and it's very very cool to feel it, it felt like i was a Part of that relationship because I helped I, I put them at the same rack and yeah. it was kind of nice yeah um, that's just a it's a cool strike coach moment I guess yeah okay well yeah well so I have just I like I, I like when we talk about like one specific sport so I like how we've been talking about swimming because um, we haven't talked about swimming on this podcast with anybody yet mm -hmm. so uh, I guess to kind of wrap it up I know we're getting short on time here is with swimming um, I guess the silhouette that I think of with swimmers is like hunched over shoulders, lanky, long arms. What have you found as far as maybe, um, I don't really like the term imbalances, but maybe imbalances or asymmetries or something that you really have to focus on in training for them to make sure that they're not only performing well in the pool, but they're also healthy as well. And their tissues are robust. You know what I mean? So, so something that you're focusing on health-wise, not performance-wise for them. Definitely posture. You know, as you say, they're hunched over. Well, their movement is that, you know, unless like your backstroke. But like, um, yeah, I would say I would say posture is a big one, just like a healthy human being. And also like a lot of them have shoulder problems. You know, a lot of it, and a lot of it has to do with bicep tendonitis. You know, I got to take care of those. I got to make sure that they know they have to take care of those. A lot of it is hamstring weakness um, from a lot of kicking motion and, and overuse of the hip flexor. So I got to teach them, hey, we got to work on a lot. We're, we get the glutes strong. And like I've had, I've had swimmers come to me like, oh, my butt's getting too big. I'm like, no, it's not. 
You know, you need triple extension, you need hip extension. We need to open up those hip flexors. You need that movement as you're going through the water. Um, so working on the posterior chain, I think with like a lot of athletes, you need to work on the posterior chain more. You know, I think we're so, especially being a soccer player, just so anteriorly dominated. I need to work on the posterior chain. Um, so I work on that a lot. And just for an, a healthy human being, unilateral strength. You know, what does that look like? Do you have stability, especially in their lower bodies? Like, so it was really funny over quarantine, my swimmers actually ran a lot because they couldn't get into a pool. So they thought, okay, like I'm in the pool for 30 minutes. Well, I'm going to go run for 30 minutes. And that did not go over well at all. I got shin splints. It was just, I was, they were like, they were in pain. They, I was like, yeah, you can't really just jump into something like if I would jump into the water and just like, okay, I'm going to swim for 30 minutes. Like that's not going to feel good. So I'm like, all right, if your swimming career ends, like let, let's do this, right? Let me, let me show you proper protocols for jumping into something new. Um, but just lower body strength, you know, obviously they're in the water. So we got to work on bone mineral density. So the, the, um, on the land stuff like jumping and ground contact time and just stability when they jump, I do a lot of single leg snap downs because they just don't have any single control. And I think to be, to be a healthy individual, especially later on in your life, having that single control is essential as you get into your 60s or I'm just picking down the line, you know? Um, but for not falling and breaking your hip, you need to have control and you have strong legs. Um, so I'm trying to teach them qualities now that they can use later. But definitely the structural in the back, the posture, um, keep those healthy. I gotta keep their shoulders healthy by keeping them obviously strong, but also loose in the biceps. Um, no, sorry, biceps. Uh, um, what was it? No, yeah, biceps. Uh, but also, yeah, lower body is a big one. Um, so keeping the hip flexors, a lot of hip flexor problems. It's, ama it's amazing. Uh, I, cur I currently work with a couple people in their like 60s and 70s right now at the private sector, and they haven't jumped in like 20 years. Like we are, I'm jumping on, I'm having them jump on a 10 pound bumper plate and a 10 pound bumper plate is that high, which uh, don't get me wrong. That's so much progress for them. That's, they haven't jumped in 20 years, but that's a human movement. Yeah. Um, it's really cool to see that. So it's good that you're paying attention to that type of stuff and just looking yeah. forward in time. Uh, yeah, but there was a study that was like the, the muscles, um, circumference of your, your thigh muscle kind of predicted longevity. You know, so I'm working in the private sector with like six year olds because they're like most people, not most people. Okay. There's a high percentage of people that, that fall and break their hip. Right. And there's a lot of complications with that either during surgery or after that causes death. So if you can keep your legs strong, if you can stay a little bit explosive, be able to stop, like some people get scared or they slip and they are not able to keep their balance because they can't decelerate and control their body. That's how they break their hip. So I'm like, when I was in the private sector working with six-year-olds, I'm like, hey, we need to be able to absorb force. We need to be able to jump. We need to keep that going. And, and so, yeah, I, I look like way long-term because like for me, sports ended so early, right? Like a lot of us, sports end so early. So that can't be your main like thought process with developing a human being. It's like, yeah, developing the human being over the athlete has always been my thing. Like sports are going to end. I want you to live a healthy life after that. Very cool. All right, Darren, we're approaching a couple, uh, just basically one minute left. Um, we like to end our podcast on who you would like us to reach out to or who should we have on our uh, podcast in the future? Got, any, got anyone for us? 
I have a lot of people. Um, I've gotten to know over this quarantine, uh, Candace Walls. She used to mm-hmm. work at Louisiana in Louisiana, but now she's in Denver at a private high school. And she is just a, like a firewall. Like she's fun to talk to. She's very, and she has a wealth of knowledge. So mm-hmm. reach out to her. She's awesome. And she loves sharing her experiences. Absolutely. Thank awesome. you so much for being on our uh, podcast for us. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate Had it. Had a blast. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great one.